want to talk about the Metta Sutta tonight. Um, <coughs> are people new to Buddhism? Yeah, okay. So Metta is a word that's often translated as loving kindness. It's also translated as goodwill. Um, it's translated as, as, as those types of qualities. And it's a very um, important teaching in Buddhist practice. In fact, and there's this great book called Loving Kindness by Sharon Salzberg, which is quite, it's quite a classic. And she talks about um, this practice. It's, a, it's metta. Loving kindness is one of the heart practices, and, and what we did tonight was an insight practice. was a was an insight meditation, which is normally uh, considered a, a wisdom practice, where you cultivate insight and clear seeing. You're sitting there and you're turning towards your experience, so you're seeing what's arising. You're seeing emotions that arise. You're seeing thoughts that arise, and you're able to begin to get some discernment about how the mind works, how the mind reacts to stimuli. The heart practices, on the other hand, are a cultivation of kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. And the wisdom and the heart practices together are a balanced, a balanced way to be in the world. Um, you're not just, you know, all love and kindness, but there's some wisdom and discernment there too. And um, chitta, the word in the Buddha's language, Pali, means heart mind. So they're not separated. We, in, in this culture, we have a tendency to separate the two. There's the intellectual, and then there's the, the bleeding heart. Um, but really, the two of them together are important. And so it's easy, or it's, sometimes um, people are able to come to this open heart um, just through insight practice, but a lot of us have so much armoring around our hearts that we need this extra little uh, practice to help melt that melt that armor so that we can um, be in the world in this kind and loving and wise way. And the Metta Sutta, so there are practices around that, and, and Sharon Salzberg goes into that in this book, but there's also a sutta. Sutta means um, teaching or scripture. It's what the Buddhist teachings are written down, and then there are thousands of suttas. And the metta sutta is the one about loving kindness. And the background is, the story of, the background of this sutta is, um, in the Buddha's day, 26, almost 2,600 years ago, there were a number of monks who were uh, sitting what's called the rains retreat. They have the rainy season in India and it rains for like three months. So the Buddha used to wander uh, around. He had no fixed abode and he would wander from place to place. But during these three months, he would stay in one place and they called it the, reach, the rains retreat. So these, these monks, um, these bhikkhus, these uh, uh, advanced practitioners, were looking for a place to do their retreat, and they found this lovely area. It was um, uh, there was a village close by, and the monks in our tradition, in this tradition, own nothing, and they're dependent on people for food. They they don't prepare their own food. They go on an alms round on a daily basis, and the people give them food. And so there was a village that was happy to have them. They thought it was a good thing to have these monks practicing. And so they were going to be supported. And there was a beautiful forest. And they were in the trees. And the monks kind of moved in. And um, as the story goes, 
the the spirits of the trees were very happy to have these monks there. The only thing is they didn't realize how long these monks were going to be there. They're like, you know, it's like company who comes and stays for a long time, and it's like um, it's been a week, and you guys are still here, you know, and it's been two weeks. And so the in the in the in the in the story, the trees got kind of annoyed. I always have that image of the the tree in the Wizard of Oz that was throwing the apples at Dorothy and the Tin Woodsman. So these trees kind of got annoyed, and um, or the spirits of the trees were annoyed, and they started. Um, howling and, and creating noises and just being full on haunted. And these monks were terrified. And so they ran off to the Buddha and they said, what do we do? We're, we're terrified. And he says, this is what you do. And he gave them the metta sutta, which is kind of a, a metaphor for turning towards our fear with love, turning towards our fear with kindness and compassion. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive. What our mind says when we're faced with fear is get the fuck out of here. Or fight. You know, we, we go into that fight, flight, or freeze mentality, whatever kind of we're inclined to. I'm a runner. I'm absolutely a runner. So if I see that, if my fear tells me to go the other way. Other people's fear tells them to, you know, double down and put up their dukes and, and, and take it to the limit. So what, this, is a, this, is, this is something that um, says, no, that conditioned response is not really how you want to approach this. This is what you want to do. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the sutta. I'm going to read the metta sutta. It's not very long. And sit, contemplate, close your eyes if you like, and just let these words land. And so when these monks ran to the Buddha, this is what, they, this is what he said. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the, later, that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. 
by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born into this world, born again into this world. So that's the Metta Sutta. Easy, huh? Any any lines land with anyone? Any anything jump out at anybody as you were listening to that? Any thoughts around that? Or some of you may have heard it before. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. When I was uh, I was teaching this the other night, I taught here Wednesday night, and I taught this. And usually, there's a person in that's here for both teachings, but I don't think so. So. Um, someone said when I asked that question he said you know it sounds really great but when you listen to it it seems really overwhelming mm-hmm. it seems like this this huge order it's like go out and love everybody all the time period and it's, not, it's like almost a lot of the Buddha's teachings you know the, the really an important teaching of the Buddha is let go let go of your anger let go of your hatred let go of your craving Stop being deluded. And these things are like, how do we do that? What do we do? And I really like what, what if you look at it this way, it's, this is not something that you just have to go out and do. The, the joy for me of the Buddhist teachings is that you start where you are. Pema Chodron wrote a whole book on that called Start Where You Are. It's wherever you are, that's where you begin. And so for this, you can just almost look at it as um, uh, just, well, what does that mean? You know, how do I start where I am? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? What's hard for me? What's easier? What seems to be easier for me? So what we have a tendency to do is go to the one that is the hardest and go, I can't do that. And it's like, well, what about all the other ones that you can do? You know, maybe you're patient. Maybe you don't speak ill will. So you start breaking it down. And I heard a, I heard a beautiful thing about the Buddhist teachings, and, and I'd, um, I'd uh, thought this myself, but this was a really great um, way to describe it. It's like the Buddhist teachings are like the ocean. When you first go up, if you go to the beach, I mean, the o- ocean is massive. But when you first go to the beach, you just put your toes in the water, and you just have a little bit, um, you put your toe in the water. You just see what it's like and that's like when you first come to these teachings you're just putting your toe in the water you don't have to understand everything all at once it doesn't all have to make sense and then you slowly go further out and further out in the, in the water you're, you're more emerged into the, immersed into the water until finally you're just enveloped and you're part of and so then it becomes more um, it becomes part of you you're immersed in it. Thich Nhat Hanh says we're like waves. So these, these subtle teachings, you just kind of pick away at them, pick away at them, pick away at them. So don't let it be um, overwhelming. This uh, Sylvia Borstein, who's a teacher up at Spirit Rock, she says the entire path, the entire teachings of the Buddha are contained within this, within this sutta within these, I don't know how many lines there are, not that many. 
And so that's another thing about the Buddha. He's got all these thousands of teachings that are collected. And they say there's, I don't remember the number, I think like there's 80,000 Dharma doors, 80,000 ways to get into these teachings. And so if something doesn't resonate with you, there's something else that may. So don't just say, screw that stuff and walk away. It's like, maybe there's something else. Like, there's a lot of teachers in this, 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 um, in our organization. And if you don't like how I teach, there's a come again another day and you'll hear a different voice. You know, we're all saying the same thing. So hopefully you'll find something or someone that, that resonates with you. So the whole path is in this teaching. And I was contemplating and reflecting on that the other day. You know, this, if you break this into a couple, if you break this into a few sections, you can look at the first part of this, and it's like the precepts. And the precepts are the Buddha's um, um, directions on how to live in the world in community with other people. How to live with other people without causing harm, which is pretty awesome. Um, and it's also part of the Eightfold Path. It's the, the middle section of the Eightfold Path, what we typically look at. How to live with integrity. Sila is the word in Pali. Ethical behavior. And that's most of the time taught in other parts of the world. In, Bu- in Buddhist countries, they teach ethics before they teach meditation. Because it's e- I think it's easier to meditate in, if you're living in an upright way, if you're not causing harm. Because if, you, if you've spent any time in meditation and you're sitting there, a lot of times all that stuff, that stuff you feel guilt about, that stuff you feel shame about, it starts nagging at you. And it makes it really hard to sit. And it's like, I'm out of here. So if you have this ethical foundation, it, it, it's, it's a really great support for your practice. But we do it a little differently here in the States. We start meditating first and then we move on to these other teachings. So... Um, this first section is about the precepts. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. Is there anyone in here skilled, thinks they're skilled in goodness? No. But, hmm? Probably a little bit. Yes? Skilled in goodness. The good news is, the Buddha also said, um, this is how you, you get skilled in goodness. Abandon what is unskillful. I mean, sometimes he has an amazing grasp of the obvious, but... Um, it's also, but the thing that's important about this is abandon what is unskillful. One can abandon the unskillful. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. If abandoning of the unskillful would bring harm and suffering, I would not ask you to abandon it. But it brings benefit and happiness. Therefore, I say abandon what is unskillful. Unskillful, unwise, unbeneficial. That's, that's what that means. Um, and cultivate the good. One can cultivate the good. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. If it would cause harm to cultivate the good, I wouldn't ask you to do it. But cultivating the good is beneficial and wise. So you may not be skilled in goodness, but it's an aspiration. This is an aspiration that we're moving towards. I mean, I would love to be skilled in goodness. That's really something that I would like to do. I would like to be. So, okay, if one is skilled in goodness... How do they behave? They're not just skilled in goodness, but they also know the path of peace. Let them be up, able and upright, which is another way of saying trustworthy and honest. Can you be trustworthy? Can people, can people trust you? Can they be safe, feel safe around you? 
That's another, I think that's another way of, of, of expressing trust is, is feeling safe. Because you're not going to trust somebody you don't feel safe around. It's a huge, huge teaching. It's a huge undertaking. How do you show up for other people? Can they, can they tell you things and trust that you're not going to share it with everybody else? Get on Facebook and go, hey, guess what? Can you provide a safe space? There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that supports this. Ruth King, who is, a, is an amazing teacher, she has shared um, at a retreat I was at a few years ago that her intention for her life is to make it safe for other people to be around her. Like, wow, how do you do that? That's beautiful. Do I make it safe for people to be around me? A lot of times, yes, but sometimes, no. Sometimes I can be snappy. Sometimes I can be irritable. Sometimes I can just not be bothered. Ask my husband. Ask, you know, it's, it's, sometimes I'm not. We're, we tend to be... Um, it's easier to be with people we don't know than people we do know. The people we do know, it's like... You're my warts. So. so how can we be upright and honest? Um, I heard this, I heard this, the Dalai Lama says, friendship is based on trust, and trust is based in compassion. So we, we, we trust our friends, and when we have trust and friendship, there's compassion. And it... it I just heard that the other day, so I haven't, I haven't totally digested it yet, but I find it a very intriguing idea to reflect that when we have friendship with other people, when we trust them, we're letting our armor down, we're letting them in, and when we let them in, it's easier to be compassionate. When we, when we let ourselves in, when we're kind to ourselves as well, when we allow ourselves to be human beings, and we allow ourselves to be messy and begin to develop compassion for ourselves, then we can be compassionate with others. We can be kind with others. So this is also a path of being kind to ourselves. It's not just others. I love, I love when I teach because what always comes up for me, what I think of in my own experience is when it says all beings. It's like all beings. But I'm over here doesn't necessarily mean me too but actually it does mean us it means we too are we kind to ourselves can we trust ourselves to take care of ourselves are we straightforward and gentle in speech to others and to ourselves what's your internal speech like how harsh are you? Do you have that person? Do you have that person walking next to you all day long, criticizing you? Anybody have a companion that criticize or a committee? <laughs> Just one. Just one. Yeah. 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 Is it harsh? So the practice of wise speech, the Buddhist teachings on wise speech, applies to this as well. Applies to ourselves. You know what it says, be straightforward and gentle in speech. That directly goes along with the teachings of wise speech where we're truthful. 
We say what needs to be said, but we say it with kindness and compassion. We're not flippant or harsh, or, or we don't slander, we don't libel, we don't say awful things to each other because that's not being safe. People can't. We people who um, it's it's people who can tell you the truth. It's a great gift, and if you can hear the truth, it's really important. It's so. It's I know it's always so difficult for me to say difficult things, and so this has been a real cornerstone of my practice. And so when you when you look around for what what's an edge, I know that was an edge for me, because growing up I knew it wasn't safe to tell the truth if the truth was unpleasant. So I learned not to open my mouth, and that carried with me all my life. Well, a lot of my life until I realized I need to say stuff. I need to tell people that what they're doing is not okay, and I need to tell people various things. That I just want to run away. Way I want to run away because my fear is running away. So this is the antidote to fear, as the Buddha said. If I have to be straightforward in my speech, I need to face my fear about talking truth. It's the, it's the Buddhist teachings on wise, wise speech. We have to learn how to do that. So that's, that's what we do, but we're, we're also gentle. We're very gentle. We're kind. Our intention is kind. We're, we, tell, we say at the right time, the appropriate time. So important. So important. We're humble and not conceited. That we all have to figure out for ourselves. <laughs> you know, we're humble and not conceited. It's not. This is a. This is a, goes along with the teaching around you know um, no fixed self and that fixed views. In fact, it talks about that. One of the last one of the last lines of this sutta is um, by not holding to fixed views. By fixed views, it, I mean the way we think the world should be. The way we think the world should be in order for us to be okay. And conceited is the way we think we need to be um, in order for us to be happy. As um, talking of teaching a few weeks ago on renunciation, and I was talking about Philip Moffat, again, another teacher up at Spirit Rock, who talked about renunciation, and he, his, his practice of renunciation is um, practicing letting go of being the star of his own movie. It's not all about him all the time. Can we be humble and not conceited? And our, a lot of times our, 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 our need to have it point to us is our, our fear of not being enough, our need to be okay. And if we let go of those fears, it's easy to be humble. I don't have to be the star. One of his other one of his other renunciations was counting um, counting his successes and determining his worth by his success. And those things change. Our, what we think is successful changes throughout our life. So, you know, having this this list 
if we write down, you know, when we're 12 years old, what it means to be successful is hopefully different than what it is when we're 40. I think as Muhammad Ali said, if you haven't changed what's important to you over, you know, 50 years, then you haven't really lived. I'm totally paraphrasing, but that sense of, you know, really, hopefully I don't have my 12-year-old sensibilities anymore. Although I still like the Three Stooges. But anyway, that's, a, that's, a, that's neither here nor there. Um, so can we, can we uh, be humble? You know, um, this, this uh, making a safe space for other people and being generous with, uh, 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 being generous with our time is uh, there's a practice that we do when we break into dyads, when we break into two people to share with each other and um, one person gets to talk and the other person doesn't say a thing. There's no reaction, there's no commentary, there's no anything. That's a gift that the, the listening person is giving to the speaking person. And the speaking person gets to um, just speak. That listening person, that's a, that's a practice in humility. Because they don't, you know, a lot of times it's like you want to jump in, you want to say, yeah, here's my story, you want to give advice. In fact, I was, I was in a group recently where we said, okay, it's kind of like the... Uh, the way council, where council operates, one person shares, and there's no crosstalk. There's no, there's no commenting. There's no, oh, you know what you really should do. And we were in this group, and one person said, "I'd really like to comment on what these other people are saying." And we said, "No, mm-hmm. it's about allowing people to have their space." And so that's a lesson in humility. I don't have to have all the answers. You know, when you're talking to another person and they pause, count to ten before you speak. A lot of times you'll find they're not done. I suck at this. In fact, I will jump in before you're finished speaking. So I ask your forgiveness. (laughs) I am a terrible jumper in her. But when I've had the mind, the mindfulness to stop and pause and count, I'm amazed at how sometimes they keep going. And, and really not make it about me jumping in with my point of view and me turning it around and saying, oh yeah. I mean, there's a conversation that has had, but really being aware of how often that happens and that we're so focused on I am, me, this sense of self. And the Buddha's teaching is about letting go of that sense of self. That it really isn't important. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's just a fixed view. And we need to make sure they understand who we are and what we're doing. Can we let go of that? Really challenging. Really challenging. But worth the effort. We're contented and easily satisfied. Contented and easily satisfied. I heard a teacher talking about this piece of the Metta Sutta, and it was really interesting. Um... Because, you know, I went along with another idea that I had. We often talk about suffering so much in these teachings. Do we, are we even aware when we're not suffering? Are you aware when you are contented? Or do you think it's boredom? Well, there's nothing going on. There's nothing this. What's wrong? There's nothing happening. Do you ever have that experience? It's like, wow, 
I got to stir something up. Can you be at ease with what's just the breath? You know, the Buddha, when he awoke, or when he was getting ready to sit under the tree and go, I'm just going to stay here till I get this, he had this recollection of when he was a, a boy, like 12 or 13, and he was sitting watching, um, I think it was either a festival or something that his father was doing, and he was just sitting, and he was perfectly at ease with this, this simple awareness of what was happening. There was no plans, there was, excuse me, no planning, no memory, no, no thoughts, just, just a, a, a resting in the present moment, a resting in the present time. And can we recognize that when we're there and hang out with it? I've had those experiences, and they're quite, quite lovely. So really begin to pay attention. You know, that's one of the, 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 the factors of awakening, when you are calm and tranquil. Can you recognize that? In this, in this culture, in our society, it's really a challenge because, you know, there's so much input, so much sensory input. Even when you're, like, if you're spending time home alone or if you go on retreat, the mind is still trying to create stuff. What's for lunch? What's for dinner? Who's that? What's the cat doing? Where is he? Can you just rest? Can you rest? And, you know, when we're contented and easily satisfied, that's an antidote to craving. You know, the, the Buddha says that our suffering is brought about, our dissatisfaction is our wanting things to be pleasant all the time, our wanting it to be good all the time. You know? And it's not. There's, I, you know, and I don't know if it happens, it seems to happen, or else it's, I'm just super aware of it, but a lot of death at this time of year. And um, some, I, you know, there's a lot of people I know, friends have had a lot of loss right now, right at this time of year. There's a lot. And, you know, it's, can you be at ease with the difficulty? And the recognition that this is this is what happens. This is life. There's sadness. There's grief. There's sorrow. And joy. <coughs> so contented doesn't mean it's always good, or always pleasant. But there's this equanimity, this this wisdom of being at ease with whatever arises. We're not blown about by the eight winds of pain and loss and pleasure and when and pain and pleasure and gain and loss and we're just okay this is this is what happens this is what is doesn't mean again i have to say it doesn't mean we become doormats it's not what that means it means we are in a recognition of the reality of what is If there's, if there's something that's going on that's causing harm, then we do what we can to end that harm, end that, that causing of harm. You know, we're, we're called to end suffering where we see it. That's part of this, um, part of the precept. The first precept is don't kill. And it's, it's, it's not just don't kill and not just don't cause harm, but it's also cultivate kindness, cultivate compassion. End suffering where you see it. 
You know, we talk about engaged Buddhism, which is kind of an oxymoron, because if you're paying attention, you are engaged, or you should be engaged. Bhikkhu Bodhi is a real, um, he's a monk, he's a great scholar, he translated many of those suttas, and he says, you can't just sit on your ass. You have to do something about what you see in this world. Thich Nhat Hanh, that's where Thich Nhat Hanh kind of got his start, in Vietnam. And, and he saw the, the horror that was going on around him and during the war in the 60s. And he said, I can either <coughs> sit in my monastery or I can get up and go out and do something about it. And that's what he did. And he's been working in, you know, towards this ever since, ending suffering. It's about being awake. It's about being mindful. And that's cultivating goodness. That's being wise and skillful in goodness, cultivating beneficial things. Um, so it's like I said, it's not about saying well, I'm content. Oh well, it's about being at ease and not fighting reality. I would say not getting into fist fights with reality because it's gonna win. <laughs> so can you be with it and then do the next thing that needs to happen? We're not proud or demanding in nature. It goes along with what I've been saying. This is the this is uh, this is the the culmination of sila of of um, uh, of uh, integrity. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Can you live in a way that you're not concerned about what people will talk to you about or say? Can you live in a way where you don't have to cross the street when you see somebody coming because you really screwed them over? Because you have a way, you live your life in a way that you don't cause harm or unintentional harm, it happens. We make mistakes, but if our intentions are, are along these lines, have these aspirations, you know, I make mistakes. I make lots of mistakes. I no longer have to hide. I no longer have to run away or go in denial. No longer have to spend so much time making up excuses. That's where I'd spend half my time in my head. How do I get out of this one? How do I not get blamed? How do I not have them think I'm not good? You know, how do I I have this image of who people need to see me as? How do I maintain that that false front? It doesn't matter anymore doesn't matter. That is the freedom of the Buddha, that the Buddha teaches. That we're not, we're not so stuck on these, these things that need to, we have to have things a certain way in order to be okay. We've been able to let go. And we, we live in a way we don't, we're wise with our speech. We're careful with our sexuality. We don't take what's not freely offered. We don't steal. We don't steal stuff. We don't steal time. We don't steal energy from other people. We don't stay in relationships long after the time we should let go because we're so afraid of being out there without. We're able to do the difficult things. We're mindful. We pay attention. So that's how we live in a way that does the that we can do not the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Not necessarily easy, but not impossible either. And if we cut ourselves some slack, 
And don't hold this thing, this idea that we have to be perfect out of the gate, and it's just incremental, how we change incrementally. What's causing you discomfort today? Where do you hit a wall? What's your edge right now? That's where we turn our, that's where we begin to investigate. That's where we say, this is what's causing me suffering. This is what hurts me. This is what I need to bring my attention to and leave the other stuff. Is it our anger, our impatience? What is it? That's where your investigation comes from. That's why you sit. That, because that's what starts coming up during practice, that stuff. And then the second, the second portion of this is we cultivate this, this, this wish for loving kindness through our practice, through our meditation practice. And, and Salzburg goes through that in here. We do loving-kindness meditation, which in the Abhidhamma, this collection, this, this, this kind of real analysis of Buddhist psychology that was written a number of years after the Buddha died, it talks about loving-kindness metta as the solvent that melts the toxins around our heart. Really a lovely way to look at this. This loving-kindness melts all that armor we have. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. So cut yourself some slack. Be patient. But we we offer the we wish in gladness and safety. May all beings be at ease. All beings, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or the mighty, medium, short, tall, the seen, the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be be at ease. That's like fucking everyone mm-hmm. there's no there's no asterisk going except these people everyone 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 all beings no ifs ands or buts it's really powerful it was really quite revolutionary in the Buddhist time because he was around with the caste system was really strong in India really really powerful this no all beings Seen and unseen, omitting none, including ourselves. We can't even omit ourselves. So we cultivate this by reciting these phrases over and over. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. Starting with ourselves. May I be at ease. May I be happy. May I feel safe. May I feel supported. I love the teaching around this practice, these, this meditation practice. You find the phrases that are meaningful to you. I went on a meta retreat a number of years ago, and that's what they did. There's, there's standard classical phrases, but sometimes they don't resonate. So you find for yourself what's meaningful. And I know when I, I came up with, may I feel safe? May I feel supported? And then you continue, and you, and you repeat those over and over again. And what you're doing is you're reworking your mind. You're rewiring your little brain, which we know now for neuroscience is quite possible to do. Neuroplasticity and all that. So that's what we bring to this practice, you know. And um, we do it upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Standing or sitting or walking or lying down, you just do it all the time. You bring this quality of kindness. You know what did the the Dalai Lama said that too? My religion is kindness. Can, can you do that? 
That's a challenge. That's a challenge, especially with all the shit that's flying in the world, with all the horror, with all the greed, with all the violence, with all the hatred. It really is challenging. It's incredibly challenging. You know, and it seems to have ramped up in the last year. It's, it's really awful. And, and it makes you want to go run and, well, I'm the runawayer person, so it makes me want to run away. Or it makes you want to fight. It makes people angry. I've had, I actually had a lot of anger recently um, with, the, with the Me Too stuff. I had this, because it brought up a lot of my memories of my experiences. And I was, I'm just, I spent like a month walking around going, fuck you, fuck you. And then going, wow, look at that anger. And it's there. I mean, it's there. There's a lot of stuff that brings this up. The question is, it's not that it's not going to happen. It's not that that stuff is not going to arise. But what do we do with it? How do we hold it? How do we hold that anger? Do we hold it with wisdom? Or do we let it take over? Are we kind to ourselves? Or do we let it take over? So how we navigate the world is really important and how we take care of ourselves as well because we can get this is a, what's happening right now it's it, it's it, it's easy to be um, destroyed or, or crushed very easily um, how do we take care of ourselves how do we take care of each other how do we support each other in the way we need to be supported how do we support our brothers and sisters Asking them, how do you need to be supported? Not, I got the support for you. But how do we, how do we show up? Really important with kindness. How do, we, how do we create connection and compassion? These are big questions that we have to reflect on and contemplate.